Welcome to Market Matters, our markets podcast on Making Sense, the hub for J.P. Morgan Corporate and Investment Bank podcasts. In each episode of Market Matters, we discuss the latest news and trends shaping markets today. Hi, I'm Eloise Goulder, head of the Data Assets and Alpha Group here at J.P. Morgan. Today, I'm really excited to be joined by John Schlegel, head of the Global Positioning Intelligence Team, for a deep dive into equity positioning and what this means for markets from here. So, John, thank you so much for joining me here today. And in fact, it's great to be with you in person in New York this week. It's great to see you as well. Thanks for having me. So, John, can we start by taking a step back and looking at positioning now in the context of what has been an incredibly strong start to the year in global equities and and especially in US equities with the S&P 500 up a full 17%, I think, this year, albeit markets have stabilized since late July or so. But John, very high level, how would you characterize positioning at this stage? Well, it's not terribly exciting at the moment, but in a word, I would say it's fairly neutral. I think it's worth noting the context of the past 12 months is one where positioning has swung from fairly bearish, where it was about a year ago in September, to quite bullish as of late July when the markets were rallying very strongly into that period. But given the pullback we saw in early August and the stabilization and range-bound nature of markets more recently, it's been a lot closer to neutral for the past couple of weeks. Thank you so much. So my next question really is, what is the positioning headroom from here? And I would assume that if you're saying the overall positioning setup is fairly neutral, then there would be quite a lot of headroom at this stage, in spite of the fact that markets have rallied so much this year. Is that right? Yeah, I would say that's correct. I think back to our conversation in late May, when the positioning setup was also similarly neutral, and we sort of referred to the fact that the macro and micro data will be key from here. And I think that's also the case. So just to note, We are recording this just before the CPI print in the U.S. comes out, so we don't know what that's going to be. But that and other things over the next few weeks will be key catalysts to watch. And if we were to see the macro and micro data remain strong, then there is reason to believe we could see positioning once again pick up a bit. But if you look back a couple of months, we had the AI rally that was driving things. The economic surprise indices really picked up in June into July. And Whether or not we see that repeat is to be determined. But I think if you look at where things are today, there's definitely room for positioning to turn more positive, given we're neutral. And one of the things to watch is some of the recent flows where they got pretty negative recently. In particular, if we look at the tactile positioning monitor, it got to a very low level in mid-August due to all the selling we saw then. And most recently, we've seen some pretty strong selling from hedge funds, particularly them adding to shorts over the last four weeks. So there are a number of things that turn more bearish that could swing to more neutral or positive territory in the near term that could support markets. Brilliant. Thanks so much. So if I take a positioning lens on where markets are going to go next, it sounds like there's two factors that are quite supportive from your angle. One of them is the fact that we saw such significant positioning declines over the last month. And the other is the fact that positioning overall is quite neutral. So there is quite a lot of headroom from here. That's correct. I mean, the way I would think about it is we've been in an upswing from a positioning standpoint and for the markets really since last September. And as of right now, there isn't a clear sign that that should necessarily change. So one of the things that we've been focused on is if you look at a longer term view of positioning and flows, 
there tends to be these trends that can last for a number of years. And we recently pulled back due to what happened in August to the low end of that kind of upward trend. Mm. And now we're starting to pick back up again. So I think that and the fact that flows got as thing as they were are supportive in the near term. And the other thing that comes to mind is if you look at some of the longer term, say 12 month flows and something like ETFs in the US, it's fairly range bound over time with huge swings. But we recently hit a very low level in early 2023, and we're coming off of those levels that were similar to what we hit in early 2019 after the low in late 2018 or in early 2016. And that led to a multi-year increase. So from the things that I look at from the positioning side, I would say I would sort of go with a medium-term trend, which has been a bit more positive. Mm. Brilliant. That's really helpful. So I guess that articulates the fact that the positioning setup for US equities right now is reasonably supportive. But of course, when positioning levels in aggregate are relatively neutral, it's also important to think about the fundamental backdrop. And you just alluded to some of that. And it's worth noting that as a team, we are reasonably bullish on the fundamentals for US equities at this stage. And I think this is most clearly articulated by Andrew Tyler, our head of US market intelligence, who is often on these podcasts with us. But to really paraphrase his view, he's bullish at this stage on account of two main variables in the US. One of them is the growth impulse and the fact that growth in the US has consistently surprised to the upside this year. And our economists and economists across the street have consistently upgraded their GDP forecast this year. And it is worth saying that our economists just last week, upgraded their US GDP forecast for Q3 once again, now to 3.5% for the third quarter. So real resilience in the macro data in the US driven most strongly by the consumer. So that's really one facet to the bull thesis. And then the other one, of course, is the disinflationary trends and forces that we've really witnessed in US markets for the last year or so. We saw straight month-on-month declines in the headline CPI in the US for 12 months into June. And this has been another uh, really positive force. And headline CPI in the States now is coming closer to target, albeit it is showing signs of stabilization. And of course, as you said, John, we're recording this just ahead of this month's CPI print. But I think both of those factors, the growth being resilient and the disinflationary forces, have definitely helped explain market strength in the US this year and keep us relatively more optimistic this year. But John, going back to positioning, presumably, even though aggregate positioning in the US is relatively neutral now in terms of levels, there are pockets, perhaps sectors in the US that really are looking quite stretched at this stage. Yeah, there definitely are. I mean, I think the one that everyone is aware about is pockets of tech, especially those that are influenced by AI. So yeah. When we look at things like the hedge fund positioning in tech, be it in mega cap tech, semis, or software in general, we see that positioning is relatively high, a 90th percentile sort of levels for certain metrics of directionality. Yeah. If we also look at flows across hedge funds, ETFs, and retail, which is a combined metric we look at, that's been very positive for tech for the last three months. So overall, that is an area, but there are some other areas that maybe are less well-known that we see positioning more elevated. And I think a few of these actually show up in Europe. So some of the European cyclicals, especially as from our lens, airlines, travel and leisure, luxury goods. So arguably things tied to the consumer have held up fairly well in terms of the positioning outlook, 
but I've started to see a bit of selling in the last couple of weeks off of those highs. But the overall positioning level, to just reemphasize this point, is still pretty high for those European cyclicals. Thanks. And I guess from a fundamental view, it's worth saying that while we as a team are relatively bullish of US markets, given those factors I identified before, we're much less bullish on European equities. So the fact that you're beginning to see selling in some of those European cyclicals, as you just said, across travel and leisure, airlines and luxury, I think is really interesting and definitely speaks to our more cautious view on European equities at this stage. Well, certainly one of those areas that we're going to be tracking closely uh, to see whether or not this follows through. Absolutely. So you've mentioned the pockets of markets, I guess, where positioning is much more elevated versus history. What about the opposite? What areas of positioning are actually looking particularly depressed right now? So this usually comes in the form of, on the one hand, certain regions, especially like Chinese equities, where we've seen quite a bit of selling throughout the year. Asia overall, I would say, has been the laggard in terms of flows throughout the year. And so there's a big divergence between the U.S., which has been most bought over the last six months, and and Asia, which has been most sold. But Chinese equities in particular have seen a lot of bumpiness, some short brief rallies alongside some buying. But overall, the flows have been pretty negative. Outside of China, I would say pockets of U.S. cyclicals. So in particular, materials, energy, is still fairly lightly held despite the rally recently. That is one area where I think there has been an inflection. So the positioning is still low, but the flows have been much more positive recently. So that could be an area that continues to kind of move higher. But more generally, the cyclical side in the U.S. remains fairly out of favor. And then I would say pockets of defensive. So utilities and telcos are also out of favor in the U.S. and in Europe. Some of this has been for specific reasons in those sectors, but some of it also is because of where interest rates are. So if they are yield sensitive and rates are fairly high, why buy a stock when you can just buy a bond and get a very similar yield? Great, that makes sense. And it's worth honing in on China because that's an area where we're getting a lot of client interest. And I guess from a positioning standpoint, things are looking pretty supportive at this stage, as you just said. And on that more positive side, there are also green shoots of stabilization in macro data as has come through in the last week or two. So we should definitely be aware of that. Having said all of that, our team's view as articulated by Krupa Patel on many of these podcasts is structurally still quite wary of the ability for Chinese markets to rally sustainably from here in the absence of either a very coordinated bazooka-style government stimulus or a more predictable regulatory environment for the private sector and for household sectors. In the absence of either of those things, Krupa's view is that Chinese economic growth is not going to recover sustainably from here. So, John, we've rattled through all of the major regions and and very helpful to hear the positioning backdrop at this stage. So, can I just ask you what's next on your plate? As head of positioning intelligence, you've obviously expanded your data set significantly over the last few years. You're not just including hedge fund positioning in our prime book in all of your content, but you're also capturing CTA positioning, ETF flows, retail investor flows, and you're collaborating with various other parts of our business to aggregate all of those data points. So can I ask, what are the other missing pieces which could help improve your and our lens on positioning over time? And how are you going about trying to tackle those other pieces? 
There are a lot of potential areas that we are missing out on, as one could imagine. There's so much data nowadays to look at and analyze. But I think the big just category that we think about is the cross-asset view. So most of what we've done historically has been in equities, and there's still more work that we're doing in that space. But when we think about where we're planning to go, we're planning to look a lot more at what we see in fixed income or rates, be it basis positioning or directional positioning, as well as other asset classes like credit and commodities. So there's a lot that we're excited about that we're looking to do more on. But for now, we remain focused on making sure that the equity view is well articulated. Brilliant. Well, that all makes sense. And it's going to be so exciting to see these different parts of the positioning jigsaw, so to speak, coming together in the coming months. So I guess before we close, is there anything we didn't cover that you'd like to, or do you have any final thoughts you want to share with our listeners? I think the one last thing is just how fluid the view around the U.S. macro environment is. We know, as you mentioned earlier, that it is key to our team's broader bullish call. But at the moment, what I sense from investors is that there's a lot of mixed views on whether we're still in the soft landing narrative that we were in in July when things were quite bullish, or whether recession risks are still to come, or if we're in a higher for longer rate environment, given what we've been seeing recently. So I think as it relates to the positioning view, though, the positioning oftentimes can be much more informative when there is a clear view that is held to some extreme level, like we were seeing it either on the bearish side early this year, if I go back to, say, March, or on the more bullish side in July. And so I think as we maybe see one of these views take a little bit more solidity, if the position also reflects that almost too much, that could be a much more interesting time to reflect on where positioning is in the aggregate. Thanks, John. That's really clear. And I guess the important thing will be to catch up with you when and if we do get to one of those points in time. I'd certainly be happy to do so. Thank you so much, John. It's brilliant to see you in person here in New York this week. And as always, this has been a really fascinating discussion. It's great speaking live as always. Thank you. And thank you also to our listeners for tuning in to this bi-weekly podcast from our group. If you do have feedback or questions, or if you'd like to explore our wider team content further, then please do go to our website at jpmorgan.com forward slash market dash data dash intelligence. And there you can send us a message via the contact us form. And with that, we'll close. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Market Matters. If you've enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll review, rate, and subscribe to J.P. Morgan's Making Sense to stay on top of the latest industry news and trends. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. The views expressed in this podcast may not necessarily reflect the views of J.P. Morgan Chase & Co. and its affiliates, together J.P. Morgan, they are not the product of J.P. Morgan's research department and do not constitute a recommendation, advice, or an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any security or financial instrument. This podcast is intended for institutional and professional investors only and is not intended for retail investor use. It is provided for information purposes only. Referenced products and services in this podcast may not be suitable for you and may not be available in all jurisdictions. J.P. Morgan may make markets and trade as principal in securities and other asset classes and financial products that may have been discussed. For additional disclaimers and regulatory disclosures, please visit www.jpmorgan.com 
forward slash disclosures, forward slash sales and trading disclaimer. For the avoidance of doubt, opinions expressed by any external speakers are the personal views of those speakers and do not represent the views of J.P. Morgan.